Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. In this particular chapter, well, again, seeing, seeing extraordinary visions and hearing God's voice were not everyday experiences of God's servants, the prophets. And as far as the scriptures are concerned, 14 months have passed since Ezekiel was called and given his, uh, his first visions. And during that time, he and his wife lived normal lives as Jeremiah had, instru- had instructed them in chapter 29, verse, uh, uh, verses 4 through 9 of Jeremiah. And since the exiles in Babylon didn't have Jewish kings or princes, princes or leaders to direct the affairs of the people, they chose elders to be their leaders. And some of these, these leaders occasionally visited Ezekiel. And in this chapter, Ezekiel had two dramatic experiences that led to the sad announcement that God would let loose his fury and judge his people without pity. So now we come to the second major section of the prophecy of Ezekiel. And in this section of the book, the complete captivity of Jerusalem and Israel will become a reality. And God's glory will leave the temple in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, Ezekiel has another vision of God's glory. The vision takes Ezekiel to Jerusalem, and God's glory appears in the temple at Jerusalem. Now, how was Ezekiel transported to Jerusalem? We don't know for sure. Was he physically transported to Jerusalem? Nobody really knows for sure. Some say that Ezekiel simply saw a vision, and he saw it there. He had the vision there by the river Kabar. Some say Ezekiel literally went to Jerusalem. And walked around, and and everything that he saw is is what he wrote about here. Some believe that Ezekiel's experience was very similar to the experiences of the Apostle Paul and John. Paul said, remember, that he'd been caught up to the third heaven. John also said in Revelation that he was caught up into heaven. Ezekiel was probably caught up like Paul and John. But the people at Jerusalem and the surrounding area weren't aware that he was there. Remember, we're dealing with the supernatural. God taught him, I'm sorry, God God caught him up, and that was a supernatural experience. So in chapters 8 through 11, these chapters cover the prophetic visions of judgment as a result of the people polluting the house of God, his temple. Ezekiel received four visions and messages about the defilement of the temple in Jerusalem. And these messages came 14 months after the first dated prophecy in chapter 3, verse 16. And even though the nation was under Babylonian control, worship went on. It continued. And the priests still performed their duties in the temple. Being from a priestly family, Ezekiel was sensitive to the need for the purity of worship. And his reaction to the shocking and disgusting deterioration of the worship was very clear in all four visions. The four visions relate to the four chapters in this section. First, the abominations in the temple in Jerusalem are covered in chapter 8, including four scenes of apostate worship. Second, the death of the guilty is covered in chapter 9, a vision of God's judgment of the apostate worshipers. Third, the departure of God's glory from the temple is covered in chapter 10 
And fourth, judgment of evil princes or leaders is covered in chapter 11. And the departure of God's glory from Jerusalem and a promise of restoration. So let's begin now in chapter 8 with verses 1 through 4. And it says, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, Ezekiel says, As I sat, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and there was a likeness, like the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his waist and downward, fire, and from his waist upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand, and he took me by a lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. So here in verses 1 through 4, we have the presentation or the introduction of the visions. Now the prophecies of Ezekiel began in the fifth year of the captivity of King Jehoiachin, and he speaks of that in, chapters one, in chapter 1, verse 2. It was the fifth day of the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. So this is a year later that he's prophesying now in the sixth month and the fifth day of the month. In the days of the kingdom of Israel, spiritual decline started when the people started building temples to pagan gods on the sacred temple mount area during the time that Solomon was king. Solomon married many pagan wives. And he allowed each one who wanted to do so build a temple and altar to her God. And this spiritual decline led to a resurgence of Baal worship. And it resulted in the division of the nation into the northern and southern kingdoms when Solomon died. The decline continued until the northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And the fall of the southern kingdom that began in 605 B.C when King Nebuchadnezzar took the first group of captives and made Jehoiakim a puppet king. Later on, King Nebuchadnezzar replaced Jehoiakim with Jehoiachin and then Zedekiah, and then finally destroyed Jerusalem in 587-586 B.C., when he took all of the remaining leaders and merchants captive. So a year or more has passed now since the previous dated visions in chapter 1. The date of the vision was September 17, 592 B.C. Ezekiel was in his exile residence where he was living in exile where the elders had gathered to wait for a word from God. The mention of elders suggests that even in exile, there was some kind of organized structure to their community, uh, their community life, and there was corporate worship. So as the elders sat with Ezekiel, it says in verse 1, he says, the hand of the Lord fell upon him there. In Ezekiel's vision in verse 2 here, he saw a glowing human-like figure. It's like the one that he saw in chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And the verse says, the angel stretched out what appeared to be a hand. And Ezekiel said, the angel took me by the hair. And then the Spirit lifted me up into the sky and transported me to Jerusalem in a vision from God. Look at verses 5 through 6. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north 
So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me, notice God, go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn again and you will see greater abominations. But notice God says to Ezekiel, do you see what they're doing? God sees what we're doing. You can't hide it. You can't keep it from him. God sees what you're doing. And he saw what his people here were doing. As Ezekiel is transported to Jerusalem, he sees the first of four different kinds of apostate, backslidden worship. The first thing Ezekiel saw in the temple was an idol. An idol. Verse 3, it's called the image of jealousy. Because idolatry provokes the Lord. It angers the Lord. Because he's jealous over his people. He gave his son for his people. He gave his son for us. And... For us to worship idols, to worship things other than the Almighty God, it, it makes him angry. It says in verse 20, uh, Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty-one, it says, They have provoked me, God says, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. You see, the people thought that just because the temple stood among them, whatever wrong they might do could not bring ultimate disaster. You know, and sometimes we, t- we trust in the things that God creates rather than the creator of those things he creates. We, church, we trust in church buildings. We trust in little idols. We trust in beads. We trust in, in things that we wear that relate to God, but they're not God. And God wants to be worshipped. He wants to be loved, not the things that he creates. And so, again, the people thought because the temple, because they were there among God's, uh, among God's house, that, that he wouldn't bring any disaster to them. The thought that they had, that they, that they th- were thinking, that's what guaranteed their security. They figured, well, here's God's house. Man, we're in God's house. We're secure. We're okay. We're safe. They didn't realize that their evil had actually made him, it says, notice, go far away from my sanctuary. Our evil makes God leave his house. It caused God to leave his temple because of the evil things they were doing in his temple, which could no longer be their protection. So as the nation decayed spiritually, the religious leaders combined the worship of other gods along with the worship of Jehovah God in the temple rituals. Now, the steps in their idolatry were clear. First, the Jewish people became curious about their neighbor's religion. And then they checked it out. Some of its immoral features appealed to their fleshly appetites. And before long, they now were secretly taking part in pagan worship. It was just a short step to start worshiping idols openly and then moving this false worship into God's house. As though Jehovah God was just one of many gods. He's the only true living God. Everything else is not God. It's something that man's imaginations have created. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, listen to what Paul said, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. The Apostle Paul was talking about idols. The things that people carry around, they have in their house, they have on their dashboards, in their cars. He says, they're nothing in the world. 
And there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, that is the Father. The Father, the Heavenly Father. He's the one and only God. Because the Lord and Israel were married to him by way of a covenant relationship. Israel's unfaithfulness stirred up the Lord's holy jealousy. Just like a husband or wife would be jealous if a lover invaded their marriage. They have a right to be. That's their spouse, not somebody else's. Ezekiel looked toward the north, the direction of the temple sanctuary. And verse 5 said he saw the image of jealousy in the altar gate. The image of jealousy, the image that provoked God to anger. The image was located near the sacrificial altar, or maybe a pagan altar was part of the shrine of this idol. The worship that Ezekiel described suggested it was a program that was developed for regular pagan worship in the sanctuary. But the sanctuary was to be only for the worship of the true and the living God. Whatever it was, this this image of jealousy, whatever it was, the people had violated God's ban, His prohibition of not allowing or worshiping idols, not having them, not, not brought into the temple area. That temple area was dedicated to worshiping Jehovah God only. And then in addition to this, this image, Ezekiel also saw the glory of God that appeared to him in the vision in chapter 1. The glory of God, it says, it came in the form of a visible bright light. The things that Ezekiel saw in the house of God, it says, were great abominations to God. The Lord's words, notice, my sanctuary. He said, my sanctuary suggests that God was talking. God was speaking. Nothing could be more serious than to have your behavior judged to be disgusting, detestable by the Almighty God. Jehovah God was driven out of his house, his own house. Of worship by these by including objects and elements of worship that were strictly forbidden by him. These pagan practices in the temple were in direct opposition to the purity of worship that God required. And we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. A lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, I worship God in my own way. You better find out if it's God's way. Because we can't worship God in our own way because we can be very, very wrong. We are to worship him in spirit and in truth. We need to know how to worship the true and living God. God is a jealous God. He doesn't accept rivals. He has no competitors. All right? To allow idolatry to continue in the temple was a direct challenge to his authority. And that it was a direct challenge to God's word, to his truth. Look at verses 7 through 13 now. Ezekiel says, So he, God, brought me to the door of the court, and when I, Ezekiel, looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then God said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and I saw, and there, notice, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders, or 70 leaders of Israel. 
And in their midst stood Jeazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel notice do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, Oh, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. Here in verses 7 through 13, these verses cover the worship of animals. God's people were worshiping animals. Ezekiel was taken to the entrance of the temple courtyard where he saw a hole in the wall. Ezekiel, Ezekiel dug in the wall, making that hole bigger. And behind it, he found the door to a secret room, verse 8 says. And then the Lord said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to go inside. And in verse 9, he says, I want you to go inside and I want you to see what's going on in there. What Ezekiel saw was shocking as well as surprising. He saw men inside worshiping idols of different kinds of animals, verse 10 says. And there were all of these drawings there on the walls. The idols were of Ashtaroth. They were pornographic. They had exaggerated female forms. And they were designed for the same purpose that pornography is designed today, to arouse a person sexually. Here they were painted on the walls of this room that, came, that they came into when he had dug through the hole in the wall. He saw 70 elders of the people or 70 leaders of Israel burning incense in front of these different idols whose images were painted on the wall, each man worshiping his own idol. Their craving for worshiping false gods was so gross that they were worshiping even creeping things. And then verse 11 says, in the middle of the group was Jeazaniah. With this kind of corrupt spiritual leadership, you can imagine the severe decline of spiritual purity and their, their faithfulness to Jehovah God among most of the population. Everybody was taking part in the worship of these false gods. Now, spiritual leaders who were supposed to guide the people faithfully to serve God led them instead into an apostate, idolatrous worship. These leaders had lost faith in Jehovah God. They had come to the conclusion that because Judah had been overthrown, God had given them up. The words in verse 10 are very telling, and they teach us a lot about the true nature of human character. The Lord said to Ezekiel in verse 12, notice, he said, Son of man, that's another you know, title for Ezekiel, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Jesus said in John 3, 19, men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why a lot of crime is then in the dark. So they're not seen, they're not found out. That's why a lot of, at least back in the day when I used to go nightclubs and stuff, they were pretty dark in there. You couldn't see very well what was going on in there. Hey, and then when you turn on the lights, it was gross. It was gross. Beer all over the floor and everything was a mess and the people were all jacked up. And hey, that's why the lights are out. That's why they're dark. 
Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They don't want us to see what's going on. What people do when they think nobody else can see them shows their true character. The leaders thought of God in limited human terms. Just like their neighbors viewed the gods of the nations, they saw God as, an, as not being all-knowing and everywhere present. What a difference between these people of the dark days of Judah and Jesus' challenge for his followers to be the light of the world. We are to be the light of the world. We live in a dark, nasty world. And we are to be light in this dark world. The people came to the, same, came to the conclusion that since God had forsaken them, that God wasn't around to see what they were doing. They felt, hey, God can't see. God doesn't, he doesn't care. But God knew exactly what was in the hearts of these people. And it's the same God then as it is today. God knows what's in our heart. And the people justified their sin because they thought, hey, it said in verse 12, Lotus, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. These words reflect a popular saying of, of the Jews in Babylon as well as in uh, Jerusalem that showed their attitude. But you see, the Lord isn't like the dead idols that the people worship. He wasn't like those idols that were made out of wood or stone or metal. They had eyes but couldn't see. They had ears but couldn't hear. Noses that couldn't smell. Mouths that couldn't speak. The God of heaven isn't like those idols. He hears, he knows, he's everywhere present. He knows all things, he's all powerful. People who make their own idols, they, they had to carry them. <laughs> they had to carry them wherever they went. They had to mount them securely on, the, on, on wherever they put them so they wouldn't fall over. Who wants a God like that? When I'm in trouble, I want my God to carry me. I don't want to have to carry my God around. I might, have, I might lose it, I might break it, I might drop it. Somebody might steal it. Who wants a God like that? Again, I want a God that sees everything, knows everything, and is all powerful because there are things that, that I need done you know, in my life that, that I can't do. But He can. Sad to say, the false thinking of these elders had spread to the people and they used it as their excuse for sin. Verses 14 and 15. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house and to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again and you will see greater abominations than these. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. There was more sin for Ezekiel to see in the temple. This time it was the women at the gate of the temple who were openly taking part in a heathen ritual dedicated to Tammuz. Now Tammuz is usually identified as a fertility god that the Egyptians called Osiris and the Greeks called her Adonis. According to their myths, Tammuz was killed by a wild boar and went to the underworld and this tragedy brought winter every year. But his wife... Astarte would rescue him and bring the return of springtime and the rebirth of nature. It was nothing but superstition. The Jewish women had forsaken the truth of God for lies. Just as people today have forsaken God for the lies that the world tells them. 
They were depending upon gods that didn't exist like many people do today. You hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, you know I, I'm, I, they're, they're not believers. They don't know the true and the living God. And they say, oh, you know, I, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for that. Well, I'm wondering, who, what God are you praying to? If you're not a child of the living God and you don't know the living God, who are you praying to? Because the Bible says that, that, if, that, that, that he will not hear the prayers of the wicked. That's God's word. He says, I will not hear the prayers of the wicked. So then who are they praying to? Where's their hope? Where's their expectation? You know, because their prayers are going nowhere. They're going nowhere. These rituals connected with the worship of Tammuz, they were describably, uh, indescribably wicked as most fertility rites were. And then notice what the Lord said to Ezekiel in verse 15. You haven't seen anything yet, Ezekiel. You'll see even greater abominations. Look at verses 16 through 18. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun to, to, toward, the, toward the east. And he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, and then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Notice that. God says, if these people, even if they cry to me out loud, I'm not going to hear them. Here in, the, in verses 16 through 18, we have the last scene of the people's detestable worship practices that were taking place in the inner courts. Those were the, that was the holiest area for worship in the temple, and only the priests were allowed to go into this area of the sanctuary. But here, Ezekiel sees 25 men facing the east, worshiping the sun, which means they had to turn their backs on the temple of God. They were worshiping the sun and not the almighty God. It's a sad story, and it, but it shows the sinful stubbornness of a hardened, rebellious sinner's heart who arrogantly turns away from the true and the living God. Since they were standing in an area by the altar of sacrifice that was available only to the priests, it's probable that these men were priests. But in chapter 9, verse 6, these men are called elders. The idolatry of the 70 elders, the 70 leaders of Israel, was hidden in the temple. But these men practiced their idolatry out in the open. It was totally contrary to God's law. For the, for the Jews to worship the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moons, and the stars. But these men were worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And they were doing it out in the open in the temple area. According to verse 17 here, God was angry with the idolatries taking place in the temple as well as the widespread violence in Judah. And we can be very sure that violence grieves God. Because in Genesis 6, it said that the men continued to, do, continued to do evil 
you know, continually. These people provoked his anger. They made God angry through their idol worship, and that invited his judgment because of their very disgusting behavior. Now, it says in verse 17 that they put the branch to their nose. This was probably a popular saying that meant their actions were an insult to God. You could probably, it's probably the same as our saying today, they thumbed their nose at God. You know, they were thumbing their nose at God. So he announced that the nation's idolatry was the cause of the violence in the land. What does that say about our land today? The world worships many things, many things over the true and the living God. Now, what do we hear about today? That violence is just worse than ever before. People are moving out of their towns, out of their cities, out of their state. They're closing up their stores, their buildings. They're afraid to walk down their streets because of the violence. It brought judgment to God's people then. It will bring judgment to, 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 to the world to, at any day, any day now. We're ripe for God's judgment. We're ripe for God to bring judgment. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time. So again, he announced the nation's idolatry because of the violence in the land. Because the leaders despise God's law. And aren't our leaders today despising God's law, God's word? They don't want us praying in the schools. They don't want, us, they don't want God in the courts. They don't want God anywhere. They want churches to preach, to, to change what they preach. They want to change the Bible. They want to get rid of God. But it'll never happen. It'll never happen. The elders despised God's law. They didn't care whether their courts were fair towards everybody or showing favoritism toward the rich. When people lose their fear of God, they choose to do whatever they please. They don't care or worry about what's going to happen. They don't care about the consequences until they suffer them. And you'll see that when the rapture of the church comes. When people laugh about the rapture of the church, oh, you know, Christians are going to be taken up and you know, we're going to be left behind. Well, when it happens, they're not going to be laughing. They're going to be crying and yelling at the top of their lungs, like I said here, but God will not hear. He's been warning us for over 2,000 years. I'm coming back. We're seeing the signs. Are you ready? Or will you be here for the worst tribulation that this world's ever seen? The worst is yet to come. It's not going to get better. Like he said, when people lose their fear of God, they choose to do whatever they please. They don't care or worry about the consequences until they experience them. God's justice, because God is a fair and loving God, his justice demands chastening when faith is turned away from. So God said that he would deal with Judah in severe judgment and he wouldn't show them any mercy. The Lord had showed them the evidence of their, of, of their sin, of their violation, of their breaking God's word. And he's announced the verdict. You didn't want to listen to me. You didn't want to abide by my words. Here's the verdict. 
Here's the sentence. You wouldn't obey my laws. You wouldn't obey my covenant. Now you will be severely punished for your many, many sins. And he said, I will have no mercy. That was the sentence. No mercy, no pity for them. And it said the guilty nation would cry out loud for mercy. But they can cry out as loud as they want. God said, I won't listen. I won't hear you. There was no place, and then there would be no place for them to go to help. No place for them to go to help, to get help. God had given them their chance after chance after chance to turn from their sins, but they refused to listen, and now he wouldn't listen to them. And it didn't matter how loud they cried out to him. And you know those people that stand before God when the judgment time comes? And God asks me, what, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? And they're going to start stammering and stuttering and crying, Lord, you know, I, I, well, you know, if I really would have known and if I, it's not going to matter. It's going to be too late then. I'm sorry, Lord, really, I'm sorry. It's going to be too sorry. It's going to be too late. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time. Don't wait because, you know, it, it may be too late. No matter how loud you cry how emotionally you might get before God. He said, I gave you a chance. He'll say, remember that Wednesday night that you sat in church and, and Pastor Joe told you about this? See, once you hear God's word, now you're responsible for what you do with it. When we choose to go against the will of God, it brings a lot of not-so-pleasant experiences because of their wrong choice to serve other gods. God said this in verse 18, My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, and though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. That's God speaking. Proverbs 1, 24-33 says this, Because I have called and you had refused, God speaking, Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel. You would have none of my rebuke, so I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer them. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because, here's why, they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the, of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and they despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Even though they cry out fervently about their problems, <clears throat> he won't hear them. Now, the Bible tells us that we're to pray fervently, but it's not going to work in this situation. If the people were as fervent in doing the will of God <clears throat> as they are now crying to God to say they're sorry, they wouldn't be going through these terrible problems. The people got what they wanted in worshiping their idols. But you see, after they found out it, uh, what they had, or th that it wasn't really what they wanted. A lot, it happens to a lot of people. Well, I got what I wanted, and then after I get it, I don't want it. It's not what I thought it was going to be. That's the way sin ends. Satan doesn't tell you what the sin's going to bring in your life. He doesn't tell you the consequences. He just tells you, oh, it's going to be fun. 
And many times you, after you get what you want, you learn very quickly, I don't want it because of all the problems that come with my wrong choice. All of their crying out, God says it's too late. The Lord wouldn't hear them. You may pray very sincerely at that time, fervently, but God says, uh-uh, I don't hear. All of the prayer promises in the Bible mean nothing if you turn a deaf ear to God's word and God's way. So chapter 8 opened the door for this gloomy picture of judgment that unfolds in the second vision in chapter 9 and the departure of God's glory from the temple and the city as a consequence in chapter 11. Israel had gone too far. They couldn't go any lower than this, so God was going to judge them. As it said, as Paul said in Romans 1, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's what the people worshipped. Birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It says, therefore, God also gave them up. That's what you want? God says, you got it. In closing, God loves you. And he will save you if you will come to him by faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But God also judges because he's holy and he's righteous. And God doesn't apologize for it. And we can say like Paul, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. God is right in everything he does. Why? Because he's all-knowing. He knows all things. He sees all things. So he, he can't be wrong. God is right in everything he does, does. And if he judges, he's right to do that too. So it's going to be quite an eye-opener. It's going to be quite a shocker to this generation when it's shown that it was wrong and God was right. God will judge sin. And again, it's not a loud voice. It's an upright heart that God listens to. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Father. We thank you for this, this great warning, Father. And, and, and Lord, help us to take it to heart, Lord. Help us to be, believe your word, Father. And Lord, we pray right now. And I pray right now, Father, with my brothers and sisters. If there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But God's word through his spirit has impressed upon their heart. I need Christ. I need to receive Christ. I don't want to be one of those people in that time of judgment who stand before God and, and I can't say, I chose Jesus as my Savior. And God will have to say to you, depart from me, you evil, wicked person. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand up real quick and put it back down. Anybody at all? We'll just say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody want to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Anybody at all? Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the cross that Jesus gave his life for us, God. So, Lord, may you be with each one tonight, Lord. May you minister to them, Lord. May you watch over them and protect them. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, you guys. God bless you guys. May you have a, um, a blessed rest of the week. We have some announcements, and Brother Don's up here to let you know what they are.